0: Moshe's Interpretation of the Torah by Rav Yair Khan. Sefer Advaryim contains the parting speeches delivered by Moshe to B'nai Israel. The first section, known as the historical speech, reviews various events that occurred during the forty years in the wilderness, with an eye on preparing Israel to enter the land of Canaan. However, when comparing Moshe's version with the Torah's original description, we are confronted with a number of troubling discrepancies. Moshe begins with the journey from Har Sinai. He records his sense of inability to lead the people by himself. And I spoke unto you at the time, saying, I am not able to bear you alone. This is a clear reference to the incident that followed Kivrot three days after leaving Har Sinai, when Moshe complained that he felt inadequate to deal with the entire nation. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too difficult for me. In response, Hashem tells Moshe to gather seventy elders to receive the divine spirit, and subsequently join Moshe in bearing the burden of the nation. However, in Dvarim, Moshe doesn't mention the seventy elders. Instead, he describes the establishment of a hierarchical court system, with judges responsible respectively for one thousand, one hundred fifty, and ten. The establishment of the court system refers to a different incident recorded at the beginning of Parshat Yitro noticed that Moshe was overworked and that the people's needs were not adequately addressed. He therefore suggested the establishment of the court system. How are we to relate to this strange historical mix-up? How did B'nai Yisrael, some of whom were old enough to remember the original events, react to Moshe's speech? Moshe continues to describe the Chet Raglim. Here again we are faced with significant discrepancies. According to Moshe's version, the initiative to send the spies came from the people, while Parashat Shlach begins with the divine imperative to send Miraglim. Perhaps of greater significance, according to Moshe, the report of the Miraglim was a positive one, but the people nevertheless refused to continue on their journey towards Eretz Yisrael. In the original account, the Miraglim themselves were actively involved in spreading fear amongst the people, which eventually led to their refusal to continue. According to Moshe, he personally tried to convince the people that with the help of Hashem, Kna'an can be conquered. In the original account, only the counter-arguments of Yahushua and Kalev are recorded. The commentator suggested various ways of unifying these two seemingly disparate versions. We are nonetheless left with an uneasy feeling, especially in light of the discrepancies we noted concerning the appointment of the judges. After the account of the Mraglim, Moshe recalls the interaction with various surrounding nations. Edom, Moab, Amon, and the two Amorite kings, Sihon and Og. In Parashat Chukat, the Torah records the encounter with Edom. Moshe sends the following message to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Yisrael, You know all the travail that has befallen us, how our fathers went down into Egypt. Behold, we are in Kadesh, a city on your outer border. Let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field nor vineyard, Neither will we drink the water of the wells. We will go along the main highway. We will not veer to the right nor to the left until we have passed your border. And Edom said to him, You shall not pass through me, lest I come against you with the sword. Moshe appeals to feelings of brotherhood and sympathy, but all his overtures are rejected. The encounter ends with a threat of war, and Yisrael turns away to circumvent Edom. In Parashat Varim, Yisrael are prevented from attacking Edom, Ammon, and Moab due to a divine decree. Hashem awarded a specific inheritance to these nations, which Israel is barred from. Instead, Yisrael purchase food and drink from these nations. There is no explicit mention of this divine decree in Sefer Bamidbar. The straightforward reading of the narrative indicates that Israel turned away from Edom because of the threat, You shall not pass through me, lest I come against you with the sword. In Sefer Dvarim, on the other hand, there is no mention of the threat. In fact, Moshe records the following message that he sent to Sihon. Let me pass through your land. I will go along by the highway. I will turn neither right nor left. You shall sell me food for money, that I may eat, and give me water for money, that I may drink. Only let me pass through on my feet. As the children of Esav that dwell in Seir, and the Moabites that dwell in Ar did unto me, until I shall pass over the Arden into the land which Hashem our God gives us." The impression is that Edom, the children of Esav, agreed to the request. As opposed to the previous examples, in this case we are dealing with an event that took place a few months before Moshe's speech. The entire nation was aware of the inaccuracy of Moshe's version. What did they think when Moshe delivered his distorted address? What are we supposed to think when studying it? Paradoxically. The fact that inaccuracies occur so consistently directs us towards a possible solution. The distortions appear to fit into a pattern and therefore should not be viewed as haphazard memory lapses, but rather as intentional deviations. Armed with this insight, let us continue. Consider the following Marah and Megillah. One does not stop while reading the section of the curses. How should this be accomplished? It says in Abraita, When one begins... He should start with the pasuk before, and when one ends, he should end with the pasuk following. Abaye said, this was only taught regarding the section of curses in Sefer Vayikra, but it is permitted to stop while reading the curses in Sefer Dvarim. What is the reason? These of Sefer Vayikra Moshe said directly from the Omnipotent, while these of Sefer Dvarim Moshe said, Mipi mo by himself. The Gemara asserts that Moshe did not receive the curses in Sefer Dvarim from Hashem. Independently, Moshe told the people what would happen to them if they violated the mitzvot. Tosafot modifies this statement and adds that Moshe's version of the curses is based on Ruach HaKodesh, divine inspiration. Nevertheless, Tosafot must admit that Ruach HaKodesh lacks the clarity usually associated with Moshe's unique prophecy. And never did another prophet arise in Israel that Hashem addressed face to face. Not only are the curses in Tverim the words of Moshe, but most of the Sefer is a record of speeches that Moshe gave Mipi Atzmo. The Sefer begins, These are the words which Moshe spoke unto all Israel. This surprising assertion must be evaluated in light of what the Rambam wrote in Ilchot Shuvah. One who says that the Torah is not from Hashem, even if he merely claims that one pasuk, or one word, was said by Moshe Mipi Atzmo, behold, he is Koferba Torah, a heretic who denies the Torah. The Ran in Megillah explains, that although Moshe was the source of much of Sefer Hashem subsequently commanded that these words of Moshe be included in the Torah. Therefore, the ultimate source is Hashem, not Moshe. It is the Torah that introduces Moshe's speech. These are the words which Moshe spoke, and therefore Sefer which contains the words of Moshe, enjoys the status of Torah Tashem. Even though Sefer is titled Mishneh Torah, it is not a repetition of Torah, but rather an interpretation, Sefer Dvarim begins, Beyond the Arden in the land of Moab, Moshe took upon himself to interpret this Torah, saying, In his introduction to Sefer Dvarim, the Ramban writes, This Sefer, whose idea is known that it is Mishneh Torah, in which Moshe, our teacher, will explain most of the mitzvot necessary for Israel to the generation entering the land. Accordingly, the term Mishneh Torah in this context is not based on the word Sheni, two, indicating repetition, Rather, it is derived from the term Shinun, which means to study, similar to the term Mishnah. These two alternatives of explaining Mishneh Torah are noted by Rashi regarding the mitzvah that a king write a Mishneh Torah. Two Torah scrolls. However, Onkelos translated as Patshegen. He interpreted Mishneh as Shinun and speech. If Moshe is not repeating the Torah, but rather interpreting and explaining it, how are we to approach a halachic section in Dvarim that seems repetitive? Perhaps we should pay special attention to nuances and details that differ from the original in an attempt to discover what Moshe has added. Perhaps details that seem to be at odds with the original description are actually arrows pointing in the direction of Moshe's interpretation. When Moshe begins to review Israel's travels in the wilderness, was he teaching them history? When we listen to Moshe's versions of past events, do we expect no more than a factual survey? Moshe is known as Moshe Rabenu. He is our teacher, our rabbi. His account of past events contains a religious message for the future. Might this message be embedded in the tension between the original description and Moshe's version? Perhaps that is how Yisrael reacted to the inaccuracies of Moshe's account. Even the smallest discrepancy was noted as a point that had to be studied. By slightly changing certain historical facts, Moshe was able to highlight deeper truths. What can we learn from the fact that Moshe imported the appointment of judges from Parashat Yitro and placed it at the beginning of the journey towards Eretz Yisrael? Perhaps Moshe is trying to tell us that setting up a judicial system is a prerequisite to settling Eretz Yisrael. Let us briefly consider Moshe's account of the Mraglim. Moshe places Yisrael at the center. According to his version, it is the people who ask for the Mraglim, as opposed to Parashat Shlach, where it is Hashem who commands to send the Mraglim. Moshe suggests that it is the people who refuse to enter Canaan after hearing the positive report of the Meraglim, while in the original account, the Meraglim are actively involved in dissuading the people. Moshe's agenda seems clear. The Meraglim have already been punished. Thirty-eight years later, Moshe is addressing the people in preparation of their entry into Canaan. He must ensure that Yisrael do not fail again. Therefore, he focuses on Yisrael, not the Meraglim. It is instructive to read Moshe's previous account of the Mraglim. Just a few months earlier, when the tribes of Gad and Ruven requested portions to the east of the Arden, Moshe placed the blame on the Mraglim themselves in order to warn Gad and Ruven not to repeat the error of the Mraglim. From here it is clear that Moshe focuses on different perspectives as the educational need varies. But why does Moshe, who is most modest, erase the counter-arguments of Kalev and Yahushua, and record himself as the one trying to convince the people. Perhaps, Moshe is trying to separate the factual aspect of the report of the Meraglim from their editorial. Regarding the facts, the Meraglim reported that the land was good, and then added their opinion that Israel would not be able to conquer the land. This opinion is valid only if the battle for Kna'an is to be based upon military prowess. However, after Yitziat Mitzrayim, Israel should have realized that they have nothing to fear for Hashem will battle for them as He did at Yamsuf. From their perspective, the opinion of the Meraglim should have been totally irrelevant. The fact that they had actually been to Kna'an and seen the fortified cities and giants is meaningless. Prashat Shlach records the facts. In reality, some of the Meraglim claimed that Kna'an could not be conquered, while Kalev and Yoshua argued with them. However, in essence, this was not an internal debate among the Meraglims. It is a religious debate that has nothing to do with having been a spy. Moshe's account goes to the real heart of the issue. Israel still didn't believe that Hashem would battle for them. The counter-argument to this is Moshe, the ten plagues, and specifically Kriyat Yamsuf, when Moshe declared, Hashem Yilachem Lachem, Hashem will battle for you. It was at that point that Yisrael witnessed the victory of Hashem, the warrior, and believed in Hashem and his servant Moshe. Therefore, in response to the people's fear, Moshe inserts his declaration, which was originally pronounced at the time of Kriyat Yamsuf, Hashem yilachem lachem. The parasha ends with Moshe's account of the interaction with various nations. As we noted, in Sefer Bamidbar, the confrontation with Edom concludes with a refusal to let Israel pass through. You shall not pass through me, lest I come against you with the sword. In Moshe's account, there are cordial commercial relations between Israel and Edom. However, Israel is prevented from conquering Edom because of a divine decree. What are we supposed to learn from this revision? Let us begin with a more basic question. What was Moshe's agenda in recording this section? According to the Ramban, Edom, Ammon, and Moab all received their portions as part of the land promised to Abraham. This is the source of the divine decree prohibiting Israel from inheriting any of their lands. Moreover, Moshe places special stress on the fact that Edom, Ammon, and Moab conquered their respective countries from giants. According to the Ramban, this indicates that the victories of Edom, Ammon, and Moab were achieved in a miraculous fashion. After all, you know and you have heard who can stand up to giants. Moshe then describes the victorious battles against Tzichon and Og. Unusual detail is used in describing the dimensions of Og. Moshe sums up his major point in the closing verses of the Parashah. And I commanded Yoshua at that time, saying, You have seen with your own eyes all that Hashem your God did to these two kings. So will Hashem do to all the kingdoms that you are going to. Don't fear them for Ashem your God, who Nil he battles for you. In Sefir Bamidbar, the Torah describes the confrontation with Edom as one of the detours forcing Israel to head back towards Mitzrayim before heading on to Canaan. Therefore, emphasis is placed on Edom's refusal. However, in Dvarim, Moshe is preparing the people for the battle for Eretz Yisrael. Therefore, Moshe must instill within the people awareness of Hashem Yilachem Lachem. On the one hand, he uses the paradigm of the battles of Sichon and Og to prove that Hashem Yilcham Lachem. In addition, Moshe enlists Edom, Ammon, and Moab, all of whom receive sections of the land promised to Abraham and who succeeded in conquering those lands from giants in a miraculous way. Therefore, Moshe describes proper fraternal relations between Israel and Edom, Ammon, and Moab. He ignores the differences and tensions in order to focus on the common past. He concludes that just as Edom, Ammon, and Moab succeeded in defeating the giants, in order to receive the inheritance of Abraham, so will Israel do with respect to its land. According to this approach, Moshe's account of the Meraglim as well as his record of the interaction with the surrounding nations, share a common denominator. In both, Moshe tries to instill within the people a deep conviction that is critical for successfully settling Canaan. The people must be aware that victory against the Canaanites is not a function of military prowess. They must understand that Hashem does battle for Israel. Moshe reviews the history of Israel in the Midbar and describes it in a fashion that calls attention to this basic truth. He presents the episode of the Meraglim in a way that highlights this issue as the main point of contention. He then shows how this factor was primary regarding various fraternal nations that attained their portions in the inheritance of Abraham. He concludes with the battle against Sichon and Og, and sums up the message, And I commanded Yehoshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that Hashem your God has done to these two kings. So shall Hashem do to all the kingdoms where you go. You shall not fear them. For Hashem Niu Ham Lachem.